CBDC. The Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. You're listening to the Startup Women Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Startup Women Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and all of the support that you need to make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Corinne Boudreau on our show today. Corinne is the daughter of a teacher and a lawyer, which probably explains a lot about her desire to share and explain the legal stuff. After escaping many years of the big law firm life, aka the soul-sucking situation, Corinne started her entrepreneurial legal journey in 2012. What started as a 40-hour in-person legal course developed for small business owners has now turned into legal guided templates for Canadians doing business online. Corinne has a knack for making things practical and easy to implement. Being a lawyer since 2002 has given her perspective and experience to boil things down to the essentials. Corinne is originally from Cape Breton Island and lives in Halifax, Nova Scotia with her spouse, Martin, two teenagers, and new rescue pup, Kiwi. Corinne's hobbies include playing guitar with her band, the Mother Pluckers, and playing hockey with the Puckers. Corinne's motto is work hard, have fun, give back. I love that, Corinne. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Kayla. It's great to be here. So let's dive right in. What is the most important thing that you want our audience to take away from our interview today, Corinne? It's don't hide from the legal stuff. It's doable. Mm. That's really that's really my motto. I want to make it more accessible and more on the front of people's minds. So hopefully I'll be able to do that. Love that. And I can definitely attest to, you know, speaking to many entrepreneurs over the years and the legal space, even if it isn't, you know, just appears like such a daunting area to try to delve into. So I think that simplicity in this space is so desperately needed for entrepreneurs in the small business space. So walk us through your entrepreneurial journey, Corinne. What was your your kind of aha moment transitioning from, you know, the big firm, uh, you know, potential big shot lawyer in that space and transitioning into an entrepreneur? Walk us through that journey. Well, I think like many entrepreneurs, it was not a straight line. It was a very winding road. Um, but I think I did have 
you know, I was at a big firm, hit that moment. Again, you referred to it as the soul-sucking situation. Just a moment I knew I needed a change. Mm -hmm. And what I really always come back to when I reflect back on where I started, it was really, I loved working with small business clients. And I just knew I had to find a better way to do that. So that's really where it started. But then trying to figure out how that, how I was going to do that was really the evolution. So I started out um, with my own law firm. And I really, I actually had what I now call a sojourn at Deloitte. That's kind of a ta weird <laughs> tax term. But so I actually had two years between when I left the big law firm and I started my own firm. So it actually gave me some time to think, to reflect, um, to, you know, sit on the beach and watch the kids swimming and all that kind of stuff and really start with a blank sheet of paper. So I think that was helpful. I didn't kind of take a bunch of clients from my old spot and start new. So I, I had a blank sheet of paper and it allowed me to kind of think creatively. So again, I thought, I love working with these clients. What do they need? What's not working for them? What's not working for me? And that kind of started me down the path. So one of the first things I did was move to all fixed fees. I hated hourly billing. I didn't think it really made sense for those clients. Um, and so I made a commitment to go to all fixed fees, which changes your business model. You know, all of a sudden you start thinking about, you know, templates, systems, efficiency, all this kind of stuff. And really it also helps you to focus on like, what am I really good at? What am I, what can I, what can I do better than other people? So kind of what's my secret sauce kind of idea. Hmm. And then again, one of the other sort of signposts if I think of this as a journey was I got a call from a business advisor at the Center for Women in Business in Halifax and I always give her credit because this was really one of those moments she said Corinne I'm always getting legal questions and we have some funding for training would you consider putting together a legal course for small business owners mm -hmm. and I thought great that would be awesome um, I always say yes and then afterwards, you sort of think, wow, this is this is going to be a lot of work. Um, so I kind of agreed in August and the, and the course was starting in September. So it kind of hit the ground running. Uh, but that helped me to, again, try to make things more accessible. And I mean, legal literacy is about the least sexy, you know, phrase that you could ever <laughs> say. I know financial literacy is only slightly more exciting. But mm -hmm. that's really what was at the heart of it. I just thought, you know what, small business business owners, sometimes they don't even know when they have a legal issue. So let's start there. You know, what are the foundational pieces um, that I think they need to know about? And let's put that into a course. And from there, again, this was um, about four or five years ago. Then I realized, oh my goodness, if I'm going to make a course, I need to make this an online course. So I did the live in-person version first. And then the next, you know, kind of signpost on the journey was to turn that into an online course. Of course, you know, I think part of me thought, oh, this is going to be simple. You just, you just record some modules. You just make some videos. Off you go. <laughs> what you don't realize is all of the other stuff that goes along with having an online course and an online business. So you start learning about, you know, lead magnets and building your email list and all this other kind of stuff. So that, that sort of put me in the direction of, oh, I need to learn about the online world. So then I came across Amy Porterfield, who's a, you know, a course creator, a kind of, you know, person who has online courses about making online courses. And I sort of jumped 
full on into her world. So I went to California, San Diego, lovely. I look forward to going back to San Diego. It was so awesome. But over the course of a couple of years, I like went there three times to like conferences of hers. And again, took a really deep dive into that world. The, the, sometimes you don't know what the, um, what the benefits of some of these uh, steps are going to be. What that did was introduced me to all these other people who are also making online courses. Again, a lot of them Canadians, but really people from all over the world. So then um, I was able to kind of take my lawyer knowledge and then apply it to people who are who have online businesses. So again, that helped me to create more expertise in the online business world, which again wasn't something I learned in law school. Mm-hmm. I love. There's so many things that I love that that you provided in that sort of opening context, but two of them mainly pop out to me really identifying what was working or what was not working for you and what was not working for your audience really was the beginning of this journey that I think is a really helpful piece of advice for entrepreneurs. You're not only trying to solve a problem for your community or your customers um, or people in that space, but also what is not working for you in your existing circumstance. Entrepreneurship can be this really great, um, you know, next chapter for you as you look to provide, you know, either more flexibility or more financial freedom or, you know, all these different variables. I love that you touched on that. Um, and my whole raison d'etre is efficiency <laughs> and templating and trying to make things easier for entrepreneurs. So Corinne, everything that you're saying around making this um, you know, more accessible and just really focusing on the quality of the resources that you have um, and, and investing clearly so much time and energy in making that the best that it possibly can be for small businesses, I am so behind that. It's so great to see. Awesome. I'm glad we're on the same page here. That we are. That we are. So I want to jump into, um, you know, some of the fundamentals and some of the, you know, main tools, resources, et cetera, that you have provided to to entrepreneurs over the years now. Um, And obviously, we know, as the pandemic has shown, online competency and as you've navigated building online courses is so vital. And we've seen this huge pivot um, to, to going digital, to getting Canadian businesses either selling online or using online tools. What resources would you recommend um, to help entrepreneurs, help them understand the fundamentals of online legal requirements or best practices? Because I don't know if we've been really talking about this side of the digital pivot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's kind of one of these things that sticks in my craw. Um, mm. People, you know, in I'm in Nova Scotia and even some of the programs here in Nova Scotia, digital adoption programs, they've really kind of left the legal piece out of it. Yeah. But that's kind of, that might be a rant for a different day. But I think, <laughs> again, I think there still is a lack of resources online that are Canadian. So again, you know, three, four years ago, when I started doing more research, I actually, you know, someone helped me to do very broad research to see what's out there. And there really were, there wasn't great information online for Canadians. There was a lot more American sources and even some UK, Australia. And part of the function of that is the legal industry in Canada, in, like innovation wise, I think is behind some other places. Mm. So I think in large part, lawyers still write content in legal speak. I think mm. they still often write almost like they're writing to the court or writing to other lawyers. Mm. I think that's starting to come around. But I think there hasn't been enough, you know, kind of consumer focused information mm. written by Canadians. So I think that's starting to change a little bit. Um, And I think SEO, like it's kind of like a backwards way, but people have realized, 
oh yeah, for SEO purposes, I should probably be writing articles that are answering questions that people are searching for, right? So that's mm-hmm. kind of brought some people around that kind of in a backwards way. That's so interesting. Yeah. But again, I mean, I one of the purposes of my website is to be a resource for Canadian entrepreneurs. Again, and I've linked to some other, you know, um, resources in different blog posts and things like that. But I'd say for Canadians, you really should look for Canadian sources because even though in a lot of ways we're like the U.S., um, in the legal in the legal space, there's enough differences that I think you really do need to um, look for Canadian sources. And of those resources, what would be like the top two or three areas that entrepreneurs should be prioritizing when it comes to covering their legal basis for online businesses? Are there any sort of shining resources that you would point entrepreneurs to first? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the Canadian Intellectual Property Office, so mm-hmm. CPO that people refer to. So I think that's a great resource. If you're looking for more information about copyright, trademarks, patents, you know, industrial designs, those kinds of things, Um, particularly around trademarks, they've got a lot of useful information. The other thing, and that's a federal government resource. The other thing is they actually have advisors in different parts of the country that you can reach out to, and they'll actually talk to you about your business for free and, and help you at least identify. They can't help you file a trademark application, but they can help you identify in my scenario, should I be worried about trademarks, copyright, you know, trade secrets, like what issue am I kind of looking at? So at a high level, they can help you. I think one of the other things is, again, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner, uh, again, another federal resource, um, has a lot of helpful tools about just helping you understand privacy laws. So I think those are two, again, whether I'm teaching or talking to people, those are two things that I send people to a lot. Amazing. And when we look at, um, you know, content and content best practices that should be duplicated or adopted, what do, what tips should we be conveying to entrepreneurs around copyright law and protecting their content? Because it does feel like you're, you know, almost boiling the ocean if you're creating a lot of different types of content, different types of products. Um, Are there any simple concepts that entrepreneurs should understand around copyright law uh, to protect their content first and foremost? Yeah, absolutely. And I think copyright is one of those topics when I start teaching about it, you can just see the light bulbs going on, mm-hmm. like going, like turning on like, wah, you know, I never learned about this in, <laughs> yes. in school. Um, yeah. But again, I think copyright is really one of those fundamental things that if you're online, you need to understand. Yeah. So copyright protects your content. If I need to boil it down to a sentence, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So there are different categories of content. But again, I think anyone who's online should understand what types of content that copyright protects. So, you know, photos, videos, podcasts, blog posts, your website copy, those are all included and protected by copyright. So again, just learning some of the fundamentals of copyright. One one good thing to know is that copyright is international. So we have a series of international treaties with other countries. And so copyright isn't just in Canada, it's all over the world. The other thing is you can register copyright. So again, if you're like a band and you're you're coming out with a new single, you can actually register the copyright in that song, but you don't need to. So for trademark, you really do need to register to get the full protection of the law. For copyright, it's upon creation. So once you, you know, 
again, like something like a podcast, once you record it and publish it, it's protected by copyright law. So that's kind of good for people to know. And I'm going to throw a doozy at you, <laughs> potentially. How would you describe the difference between copyright law and intellectual property? Right. So intellectual property is a term that lawyers like to use. Again, I try to stay away from like as much jargon as possible, but it's it really is a jargony sort of term, but it's kind of the umbrella term. So it it's anything that's intangible. So if you think about like printers and laptops and ring lights, those are all physical assets of your business. Mm -hmm. It's the intangible stuff. And again, once we go online, we start creating way more intangible assets than we're aware of. Intellectual property is really the umbrella term for all of those intangible assets. So it includes copyright, trademarks, patents, trade secrets, you know, intellectual, um, industrial design, yada, yada. Those are the big ones. So it, yeah, it's an umbrella term. Fantastic. And I think that's really helpful that, uh, you know, there are all these different areas that people feel very uncomfortable venturing into, understanding what the umbrella terms are, what are almost the sub bullets within those spaces can help entrepreneurs even just conceptualize the different areas um, of law that they should be approaching. Yeah. And that's where I think going back to the SIPO website, yeah, they have some good, I mean, it is still kind of written in government speak, mm -hmm. I would say but it's a lot clearer than some other areas. And then I try to, again, put this in context for people. So I say, you know, again, for podcast, you know, um, producers or podcast hosts, what does that kind of mean? You know, so that's really where some of the temp the more specific templates come in. So just going back to copyright for a minute, I think the other thing that co understanding copyright law helps you to do in terms of growing your business online, mm -hmm. is again, once you recognize that you've created something that can be protected by copyright, you can start thinking about things like licensing it. So again, a lot of online course creators, membership owners, you know, all the cool stuff you can do online now, you start realizing, okay, I've created this thing. Again, now if other people want to use it, I can charge them money. Mm -hmm. And how do I do that? Well, it's that's where licensing comes in. So again, just learning some of the fundamentals about licensing can help you to, again, make more money and make and protect your content because, again, you enter into these agreements from your content that you're creating that's protected mm -hmm. by copyright. So rather than just saying, oh, yeah, yeah, just use that or... But it's you know. protecting it and then scaling it. I love love that idea. <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. So let's shift over to another uh, part of legal support for entrepreneurs, uh, which is privacy policy. So according to your website, all online businesses are required by law to have a privacy policy. Walk us through what a good privacy policy includes and why we need them. So for the rule followers in the crowd, I always say, why do we need <laughs> one? Because it's required by law. But for the other types, and again, the entrepreneurs, sometimes we do want to push the envelope. Um, I just say, I think it's good practice now because privacy, and especially because of privacy breaches in the news, I think people have become a lot more aware of privacy. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to, again, PEPIDA is the federal piece of legislation. I don't want to talk too much about legislation. Again, that's when people start to doze off on me. Um, but that's the one that applies to most small businesses. There's going to be a few people in other in provinces or who are in the healthcare sector who might need to look at health 
specific privacy legislation. But um, for the most part, we're talking about you need to put in your privacy policy. What is the purpose? Like, why are we collecting this information? Um, and so for many online businesses, it's, you know, to deliver products and services to you. And, uh, and it could be for other, you know, promotional purposes too. Then you want to say, how are you collecting it? So usually you would say something in your privacy policy about, again, you may be submitting information to us by email. You may be filling out forms. Um, we may be using tracking software. That's the whole cookies thing. You know, so that's all about how we're collecting information. And then the last thing you're really saying is, how are we going to use this information? So are we going to use it to offer other services to you? So the whole marketing thing, are we going to be, you know, sending you, obviously we're going to be delivering the goods or services to you. And that's the primary reason. But if you have any other reasons, again, you want to say what that are, what that is. So you can say, when it comes to third-party use, some people say, well, we're not going to use it. We're not going to sell our list, our client list to other people, of course, or probably not. I mean, again, if you're in that business, if you're in a lead generation business, maybe you are selling your leads. I don't know. But you just have to say whatever it is. So one of the things that I do point out to people is you want to say in there that you might be sharing personal information with applications that you're using. So again, if you're using like Google Forms or Calendly or Canva or, you know, who knows, all the apps that we use these days that we love, you should have something in there. That should be one of the ways that you're using the personal information. Mm. And then you just say, you know, how you're securing it. So again, you have to think about in your industry, is it okay to use all of these programs? Interesting. But those are the kind of the, the high level basics of what goes into a privacy policy. Makes sense to me. Nice and simple. <laughs> um, another component that I know, you know, speaking to so many entrepreneurs over the last uh, year and a half, before the pandemic, it was very common to see or be involved in oral agreements or contracts. And, you know, when COVID hit and everyone had to make these these massive pivots, um, you know, we really noticed all of these, these various cracks almost in the foundation of many of these um, arrangements. Why will a written agreement serve founders way better than an oral agreement, um, especially in the online space? I think we, we potentially learned that lesson the hard way, but walk us through some of the additional benefits of having a proper paper trail and written agreements. Sure. So one of my mottos, even before the pandemic, was get it in writing. Mm -hmm. So I kind of talk about why is writing better than oral agreements. Again, part of it going online is you can draw clients from a much bigger space. So it is a little different, you know, if you're doing business with your neighbor or you're dealing doing business with somebody in Australia. Um, however, I would even suggest to people that even if you are doing business with your neighbor who you've shaken hands with and seen, you know, seen their eyes, there are still good reasons to get things in writing. Yeah. So some of them are, again, it helps us to get on the same page. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it makes us slow down and again, think a little bit more deeply about what we're actually agreeing to. So I kind of like that prevention piece up front. Mm. We, when we write things down, we actually provide more details. So then when talk, we're just kind of like, oh yeah, okay, 500 bucks, start next week, la la la. Like we never actually go into, well, what happens if you want to end the contract? What happens if I want to? What happens if something gets broken during shipping? You know, so we may not go into as much detail as may be useful. Um, the other thing is memory. 
<laughs> like when we write things down, we can actually go back and say, oh, that's right. Because problems don't always happen right away. Problems might happen, you know, a couple of weeks from now, months, a year from now. So again, having things in writing helps us to, to have captured what we agreed to and go back and look at it. So I don't know about you, my brain doesn't always remember. I don't have perfect recall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. So I, I make a lot of lists for yeah. a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So again, if it's like an important client contract or something, I definitely want to get that stuff written down. The last point that I'll go into is, and again, this does happen in the online space too, people move, people sell their businesses, people change jobs. Mm. So if you've made an, if you and I made an oral agreement right now, are you going to be the one who's still there like a year from now, mm. especially for important contracts that go on for a longer period of time? You want some continuity. You want to actually make an agreement with, again, getting it in writing just makes it clearer that it is, you know, still enforceable with that business or company or whatever. That's excellent advice that uh, I, that definitely resonates with me. I'm definitely more detail oriented, written versus versus verbal, and the pain that you can potentially experience by doing this very quickly or uh, you know not investing the effort at the front end could cost you in the long term as well. I think a lot of people have learned that the hard way. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think people again, women. We're talking to women on this podcast. I'm sure there are mm -hmm. people who do not identify as women who are also listening to this podcast, but women, sometimes they tell me that they feel bad getting someone to, to, to sign a contract. Like they feel uncomfortable. And it, it's a thing that I think is, is kind of part of a mindset that you do need to think about. I sometimes try to turn it around and say, like, you'll actually make them feel good that you have things together. Like you have your ducks in a row you are taking this business seriously and you want to get on the same page. So whenever I have to kind of coach somebody through this process, I say, like, it's going to make you look organized, serious, and you can explain it as I want to make sure we have clear expectations up front before we start. Mm -hmm. And again, lots of people who've been burnt, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, who've had somebody not pay them, who've had somebody take their stuff, who's just gotten into awkward situations. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, Absolutely. I may, have ha may not have had it before, but it's something I want to work on right now. So take this cue, listeners. If you have not been burned by this type of process, uh, better to learn from you know some of the challenges of entrepreneurs before you and uh, and implement yeah. these processes from the very yeah. beginning to save yourself. That sounds yeah, great. and not everyone's going to do it with their their very first client. I get it. Yeah. At the beginning, you're just kind of like, I hope someone will pay me for like what I'm doing. Yes. But really, once you get to that stage where you've figured out what you're doing, that you have clients, you've actually got a business, you know, mm -hmm. that's really a time to identify that. Agreed. So let's switch to a bit of advice. Um, what would you, what advice would you give other big firm lawyers um, who are looking to really go out on their own and launch a business? Um, do you have any pieces of advice for, for the disruptors in the legal space who may want to um, follow a similar path to you? Oh man. Um, <laughs> it is, it's going to be tough. Like, and I guess what I would say to them is it's going to be tough, but you can do it, but you are definitely going to have to change your mindset. I sort of jokingly say the lawyer, half of my brain fights with the entrepreneur, half of my brain. <laughs> I like that. Um, and this happens all the time. Mm. 
and definitely even coming from a big firm. But it just the way we're taught in law school, we're, we're taught a certain way. We're taught, obviously, to be lawyers. We're not taught to be entrepreneurs. Mm. And we're also not necessarily taught, and I think this is actually a failing of the legal profession, we're not actually taught to focus on our clients. Like, mm. entrepreneurship is all about what do clients need? Mm. Where are the gaps? Like, do research. Lawyers are not taught that way. We're taught, like, legal problem solving, but really the client is, like, the person who shows up at our office with a problem, but we're not always focused on them. So what I would say is it's going to be tough. The Canadian legal market is still not that innovative. Like you're going to have days where you're going to think, am I like, why am I trying to do this? But, but you still, I, I would say to them in the end, if you have a better solution for the clients that you serve, you're going to be okay because they will find you, you will find them. And there's so much room, like so much room. When I first was, I was actually thinking today, I was on a Startup Canada Twitter chat. Mm. It, was, it was so many years ago. I couldn't even remember how many years ago. <laughs> I'm going to say like six, five, six years ago at least. Mm -hmm. And people would say, oh, you're so innovative for being on Twitter. Like the, the bar for being innovative in law is so low. <laughs> like it is, you can, you can fall out of bed and fall over that bar mm -hmm. like it's still very low mm -hmm. but I think we have a lot of work to do so I like I try to get other lawyers fired up to do it but it's definitely going to involve a, a, a mindset shift mm -hmm. and it's also again if you I think if you can focus on clients who have a problem that's not being served very well you'll be okay I went to a presentation one time it was one of these you know, continuing professional development presentations. And this guy, Jordan Furlong, who talks a lot about legal innovation, he said, of all the people that have a legal problem, only 10% hire a lawyer. The other, and he showed this picture of an iceberg. And so 90% of people, what are they doing? They're sticking their head in the sand. They're asking their brother, their neighbor, their accountant. They're Googling it. Who knows what they're doing? So I think that suggests, again, the legal market is there's parts of it that are very underserved, including, I think, entrepreneurs. Now, again, law firms are starting to change and lawyers are coming around to this. But I think there's still lots of room to be more entrepreneurial in the legal space, for sure. Agreed. Agreed. And specifically in Canada as well, to your point earlier that, uh, you know, if we're behind our American counterparts or, you know, internationally, there's there's some space to evolve uh, our legal system as a country. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any final tips, takeaways, uh, other tools or resources that you'd like to share with our audience, Corinne? Well, I think the first thing is law doesn't need to be as scary as you may have made it out to be in your mind. <laughs> I mean, lawyers are, are people. Mm -hmm. You may know some. They're probably really fun, again, when they're not going to their office. But yeah, don't be, <laughs> don't be intimidated by it. Again, don't be afraid to jump in and learn about some things. So if you identify like, I need to learn more about copyright because I am creating online content. Again, don't be a, don't be intimidated to jump in and learn some things about that. Mm -hmm. And then I guess the last thing, and again, I just always come back to this, get things in writing. Like it will, it will protect you. Invest a little bit like you do in bookkeeping and accounting and all the other systems in your business. I really think legal should be a system in your business. And the mm -hmm. sooner you can do that, the better off you'll be. 
love that. That's great takeaway, I think, to end uh, our time together. Thank you so much, Corinne, for joining us on the Startup Women podcast. I know I have learned a lot, and this, this are some great reminders for myself in, in uh, all of the pieces of feedback that you provided. So thank you so much for joining us, Corinne. Oh, great. Thanks, Kayla. It was really fun. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, VDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rick Spence and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the economic potential of women.